Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. We're in part two of our study through the letter to the Philippian church. And uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. And last week, we talked about how the theme of this letter is joy. And with everything happening right now in our country, uh, with, with all of the things that, uh, that are currently going on in our world, um, I think there is no better time uh, than right now to talk about joy. We need joy. The church needs joy right now. And so uh, I think it's very appropriate and relevant that the theme of the, this book, this letter to the Philippian church is joy. Um, over and over, Paul mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. Uh, like I like I said last week, uh, through these four chapters in this letter, uh, Paul mentions these words uh, at least 19 times. Uh, I mentioned in last Sunday's sermon that your homework was to read Acts chapter 16. Um, and so did you guys do it? I hope you did. If you, if you did read it in the comments, uh, type in, I did it. And if you didn't, type in guilty. Hopefully my wife types in, I did it and not guilty, but we'll see. So we're going to continue in Philippians chapter one. And today we're going to start with verse number 12 and we're going to read 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul here is telling the Philippian believers that he wanted them to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What are the things that happened to him that he speaks of? Well, the record of these things is found in Acts chapters 21 through 28. So we got homework again. This week, I want you to read Acts chapters 21 through 28. It's a very fascinating read, and it'll give you a lot more context to what we're talking about here today. So just to give you a brief kind of overview of, of those chapters of what happened to Paul to get him to the place that he's currently at, Right now, Paul was illegally arrested in Jerusalem and imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. Uh, when he appealed to Caesar, which is the right of every Roman citizen, on his way to Rome, he had a shipwreck and almost lost his life there. He was stranded on an island for months, and finally, he gets to Rome as a prisoner. Paul desired to come to Rome as a preacher, but he ended up coming there as a prisoner. That ever happened to you before? Uh, where you felt called to do something or go somewhere and you ended up there, but the route God took you through to get there was nothing like you anticipated or expected. Anybody been there before? I know I have. You've been saying forever that you wish you could spend more time with your family. And now in this last, uh, the, the last few months, you've had that opportunity. But the reason you've had that opportunity is because we're going through a global pandemic. Paul could have probably written an entire letter about those experiences alone that he went through, but instead he summed it up in 
what has happened to me. There are other letters in which Paul goes into detail about the things that had happened to him. But in this particular letter, he wanted us to see that God works out his purpose through our problems and difficulties. As you look at Paul's journey to Rome, from the outside looking in, it looks like failure after failure after failure, right? It doesn't seem like God's favor was with him the way we're taught that God's favor looks like, right? We're taught that God's favor means everything works out for us and every door is open to us. We're taught that if we have God's favor, that nothing bad ever happens to us. But Paul says all of these things that from the outside look like failure and disaster have actually served to advance the gospel. And that's what matters most. That leads me to my one and only point today, which is actually a question. Are we focused on the advancement of the gospel? Are you focused on the advancement of the gospel? When things don't go according to plan, what's in your heart will inevitably and ultimately come out and come to the surface. What we're truly focused on will come to fruition. We'll be able to clearly see what's most important to us. How many of us have said, even since the pandemic started, the same thing as Paul, what has happened to me, except we replace, served uh, as the advancement of the gospel, we, we replace that with something like, what has happened to me has messed up my plans. What has happened to me has messed up my vacation. What has happened to me has messed up my speaking engagement. What, what, what has happened to me has messed up my opportunity to uh, have a normal graduation ceremony. What has happened to me has taken away my right to get a haircut when I want to get a haircut and eat inside of a restaurant. What has happened to me has messed up my ability to have a normal, healthy relationship. But Paul didn't say any of that. He said what had happened to me, what has happened to me has served as a catalyst to advance the gospel. If I can be brutally honest for a moment, and if the shoe fits, wear it. But many believers are so caught up in advancing their own causes that they often neglect the most important cause, the cause of Christ. We're busy advancing our American dream. We're busy advancing our career. We're busy advancing our social media influence. We're busy advancing the ideas of our political party. We're busy advancing our country's values. We're busy advancing our own ambitions while forgetting that our main calling as heavenly citizens is to advance the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Those other things aren't necessarily wrong unless they get in the way or take precedence of advancing the gospel. And from what I see, a lot of those things that I just listed have taken precedence or are currently taking precedence over us advancing the gospel. For example, if your motivation for advancing in your career is to be a Christian presence and be more generous to the kingdom, then go for it. Or the more influence you have on social media, we know the bigger platform you have for the gospel. But I see so many celebrity Christians. If you go through, scroll through their Instagram, it's a bunch of pictures with them and famous people. It's pictures with them and celebrities and athletes like, okay, well, you're cool. I don't see how that's advancing the kingdom. I don't see how that's advancing the gospel, but you look cool. So, 
So good job. You, you know what I'm saying? We, we need to use our influence and, and we need to use everything that we're doing to advance the gospel because we are citizens of heaven. What is the gospel that Paul is talking about here that is advancing? Well, Tim Keller um, defines it this way. The gospel is the good news that through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Jesus's work and record rather than ours, for our relationship to God, that kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright defines it this way. The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When this gospel is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. Paul is saying that the good news of Jesus is spreading and advancing through, <coughs> excuse me, through all these things that have happened to me. Can the people in our lives say that about us? Can you honestly say that since the start of this pandemic, the things that have happened to you have actually served to advance the gospel in your life? Or are you so focused on the inconveniences it's caused you that you haven't even thought about advancing the gospel? You're so consumed with what's going on with you, what's happened to you. You're so distraught and upset and offended and angry about what's happened to you that you haven't even thought about how you can be a witness. You haven't even thought about how you can use this opportunity and this time to advance the gospel in your sphere of influence. Paul did not find his joy in having the perfect circumstances. Here, this church, he found his joy in winning others to Christ. He found his joy in proclaiming this royal announcement of Christ's kingdom. He found his joy in proclaiming that God's kingdom has come to renew the world. That is where Paul found his joy. That is what Paul's joy was tied to, is to winning the lost. It was to proclaim the gospel. It was to advance the kingdom. The Bible teacher, Dr. Warren Wearsby, said this, The secret is this, when you have the single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, and you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. One Bible commentator notes that this word advance that Paul uses when he says the things that have happened to me have been has served to advance the gospel. This word advance that Paul uses is a Greek military term referring to the army engineers who go before the troops to open the way into new territory. Instead of Paul throwing himself a pity party for all that had happened to him and pouting in prison, he saw all of this as an opportunity for the gospel to advance into new territory, even if that meant the prison that he was currently in. Verse 13, Paul says, as a result of all these things that have happened to me, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He, he wasn't trying to get people to feel sorry for himself. He wasn't trying to, 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 to uh, make people uh, feel like he was a victim. He was saying, all of these things that have happened to me, 
as a result of all of these things, it has been clear throughout this whole palace guard, throughout this whole prison, that I am here in chains for Christ. The same God who used Moses' rod, David's slingshot, and Samson's hair to advance his purposes used Paul's chains. Paul was able to witness to the emperor of Rome's palace guard, and they began to come to faith in Jesus. No matter where Paul went, he would proclaim the gospel. No matter whether he was chained up or he was free, he was going to advance the gospel and he was going to allow God to use all of his circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to serve to advance the gospel. Paul may have been in chains, but he was far from imprisoned. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7 in those prison barracks. And every six hours, the soldier's shift would change. So Paul had an opportunity to witness to four soldiers per day. And I am sure and I am certain that is exactly what Paul did. Everybody in that prison, all of the guards clearly knew that Paul was in chains for Christ. He said it himself. If we're not focused on the advancement of the gospel in our lives, it can become very easy for people at our workplace to not even know that we are Christians. You can go through your life without anyone you know knowing what you know about Jesus, and that is sad. That is a travesty, and that is a tragedy. If the people in your life do not know that you are a Christian, do not know that you are saved, and do not know that you are completely sold out and surrendered to Christ, let that not be said of you, church. If I ever go somewhere that I spend a lot of time at, like the coffee shop or a workplace, they will know that I am a follower of Christ and that I'm a pastor. When I first moved to New York City, I worked part-time at the Gap. And all of my coworkers, my managers, my, all my bosses, they knew that I was a Christian and they knew I was a pastor because in conversation, I would find a way to bring it up. When I walk into the public school we meet at for church, uh, most of the times when I walk in, I'll have someone stop me and open up to me and ask me to pray for them, or, or, or I'll just listen to what they're going through. Why? Because they know I'm a pastor and they know I'm a Christian. I will find a way to let people know in conversation that I am a pastor, that I am a Christian, because I want them to know if they ever have any questions, if they're ever going through something, I want them to know that there is a Christian person, a Christian presence that they can come to and get prayer or have a listening ear or to get some words of encouragement from. I'm not going to berate them or be a nuisance. That's not my style. I'm not an overly aggressive person, but you better believe I'm going to let them know who I am and what I'm about. In verse 14, Paul goes on to say, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When the other believers that were in and around the Apostle Paul saw how he suffered and how boldly he preached the gospel in prison, they became bold about sharing their faith. They started out timid. They started out nervous. They started out a little fearful. But when they saw how boldly Paul proclaimed the gospel, how committed Paul was to the gospel, it stirred up boldness and courage and faith inside of them. This is the effect that we should have on people, church. Inspiring them to be bold. 
inspiring them to be courageous in their faith, inspiring them to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way we suffer should inspire others. Let me say that again. The way we suffer should inspire others, meaning we shouldn't suffer the way the world suffers. Why? Because we have an internal joy living on the inside of us. We have a hope for eternal life. We have a hope that we know that this world is not all we have, but there's so much more. And we know where we're going when we die so we can suffer differently than the world suffers. And the way we suffer should inspire others to follow Jesus and to love Christ and delight in Jesus. God wants to use our brokenness to spur others on in boldness to the gospel. Not only should the way we suffer inspire boldness and courage in others, but our boldness in sharing the gospel will inspire others to be bold as well. When other believers in your workplace or apartment building see you ministering to your coworkers or neighbors, it will inspire courage inside of them to do the same. If you're at a restaurant or a coffee shop uh, after church with one of our with one of the members of our church family, and they see you ministering to the waitress or the waiter or the owner of the restaurant or coffee shop, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them or encourage them or pray for them, I guarantee you that person that you're eating with will be inspired. They'll be inspired and they'll say, if, if Jama can witness to, to, to that person, then I can do it. If, if I see John sharing his faith to this person, then I can do it. If I see Tara so boldly praying for this person at this coffee shop or restaurant, I can do it. Our faith, our courage, our boldness can be contagious. Church, let our love for Jesus be way more contagious than this coronavirus. Amen? All right, let's keep reading. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read 15 to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul tells us he will rejoice and continue to rejoice for emphasis at the end of verse 18 there. Paul's joy was not tied to his version of the American dream or his personal self-fulfillment and expression or self-gratification. His joy was tied to Christ being preached in life, death, comfort, or suffering. That is what Paul's joy was tied to. Not only did Paul have to deal with the hardship of imprisonment. He also had to deal with difficult people preaching Christ out of selfish ambition in an effort to stir up trouble for Paul. The words selfish ambition is translated in the King James Version as one word, the word contention. And that word is an interesting word. It literally means canvassing for office to get people to support you. These people that Paul was writing about they were not preaching the gospel to get people to fall in love with Christ. They were preaching in order to get people to fall in love with them. They were creating division within the church and stirring up trouble for Paul. 
One of the ways you can tell a false teacher is if they are preaching in order to campaign for love, attention, and adoration towards themselves and not Christ, where they're trying to garner and gather the attention of their followers and, and deflect it from Christ. Christ, should any preacher, when they preach, a true pastor, a true preacher, should be exalting Christ, should be lifting up Christ, should be making Christ more famous to those that he is speaking to. If it's more important to honor and lift up the man of God than it is Christ, you know that that is a false teacher. Uh, this person is not a pastor, they're a politician campaigning for their personal self-interests. You know, I've been under leadership of a person like this before, where the people in the church cared more about this person's opinion than they cared about the opinion of God. They would go to this person for life decisions before they would ever pray and seek God. And, and this person, I believe, wanted it that way and set it up that way and designed it that way. If, if, so, if someone in the church liked someone else, before they would pray about it, before they would ask God if it was his will, they would, they would have to get the, the thumbs up from, from this person before they would proceed. If someone wanted to go back to school to further their education, they had to get the green light from this person. Not God, not, not through prayer, but through conversation with this person. That is not how it's supposed to be. And then there is the mystery of the gospel that even in the wrong hands, if the truth is preached, it can be effective. Now, I wouldn't recommend it, but Paul says, but what does it matter the motives behind their preaching as long as the gospel is being proclaimed, I will rejoice. Basically, Paul is saying, I am not going to waste my time trying to control a situation out of my control. I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to keep my joy. I'm not doing this to get credit or notoriety. I want Christ's name to be known. And whether their motives are pure or impure, whether they're trying to cause division or not, whatever it is, if they're preaching Christ and people are, are getting saved and people are being ministered to, you know what? I will rejoice because I'm not doing this to get credit. I'm not campaigning for love for myself. I'm doing this to make Jesus known. And that was Paul's attitude. As we close today, I have a question for you. Is there something in your life that you need to stop wasting your time on? wasting your energy and emotional currency on and give it to God? Is there something in your life that you're just wasting all of this energy, all this emotional currency on that you just need to give to God? You need to let go and give to God. Is there someone in your life that you need to stop wasting time, you need to stop wasting energy on, and you need to stop wasting emotional currency on, and you need to let that issue go. You need to let that situation go with that person and give it to God and just keep your joy. Even if this person has impure motives, even if this person has selfish motives, is there, is there, is there someone in your life where they're like that and you know, and you know their motives, you know, you know their heart, but you just say, you know what, I'm not going to let this person steal my joy. I'm not going to let this person's impure motives take my joy from me. I'm going to let it go. As long as the job is getting done, I don't need to get credit. 
as long as things are getting done, I don't need to get the notoriety. That's not what I signed up for anyway. And you just need to let it go and keep your joy. Is there anybody in your life where that is what you need to do? If it is, if there is, I want to encourage you to follow the example of Paul and not let someone else or something else steal your joy. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.